What is it about tits and ass that makes a horror movie more interesting? Is it the cliche of flesh and blood? Blood of my flesh? Or just simply seeing women with big boobs? <laughs> However, in this concept, it's more of a kick in the nuts, which is very much conceivable, and that gives it production and value. Greetings, all you mandibs and sons of bitches out there in podcast land. It is out the Horror Hound, and I would like to regale you with my opinion and review of the movie X, which was just released in theaters not too long ago. The events portrayed in this movie took place in 1979, but this gutsy-gothic-inspired, hyper-sexualized, hyper-violent, anarchic film makes a thoroughly modern, unsettling statement. There are a few highlights that I would like to cover about this movie in which I feel are important for anyone to know if you've already watched this movie, or if you haven't watched this movie, there are some spoilers ahead, so just be warned. Okay, here's the skinny. The cast and crew involves of three performers, two women and a man, you know, the classic heterosexual porn ratio or every man's dream. I don't fucking know, whatever, dude. A director, a technician, and a swaggering tycoon who claims the title of executive producer. <laughs> this guy, Wayne, played by Martin Henderson, is also romantically attached to one of the stars, Maxine, played by Mia Goth, who dreams of the Hollywood big time. Her veteran co-stars, Bobby Lynn, played by Brittany Snow, Jackson, played by Scott Muscuti, also known as the rapper Kid Cootie, and also a couple as are RJ, played by Owen Campbell, the director and Lorraine, played by Jenna Ortega, who handles the sound and is, at least for a while, the designated prude. <laughs> There's one in every crowd, so get used to that. Just saying. Anyway, since this is a slasher film, it's not spoiling anything to note that most of these people will not make it out alive. As in this movie, a pitchfork, a shotgun, are all easy to reach, and for good measure, there's an alligator in the pond. However, um, Howard and his wife, Pearl, give off sinister vibes. And West's knack for a zooming, cutting, manipulating point of view and layering sinister sounds creates an unmistakable anticipation of doom. Meanwhile, you can sample the familiar trashy pleasures of sin and skin with a spicy sprinkling of meta. This is a movie about movie making, after all, like Argo and Day for Night, or Singing in the Rain, and as such, it teases the viewers with knowing winks and easy access insider references. Many of these come poor to RJ's expense, with his stringy hair, wispy beard, and wet noodle physique, he's a film nerd exaggeration. He wants to bring experimental techniques like as the way they do in France or the farmer's daughters and worries Wayne will commitment to the Evan guard. Still, he's not entirely satirical scapegoat. His sensitivity about the kind of movie he's actually making, especially once Lorraine sheds her disapproval, isn't played for laughs. His toast to independent cinema is a punchline. But it could also be the, the you know the Ty West's motto, the director of this film. So when RJ argues against the importance of plot, he has a point, one that Ty West both upholds and challenges. Horror and hardcore both use narrative as a 
flimsy excuse to show the audience the action that it really came to see, like tits and ass. <laughs> and while the sex in the movie is strictly R-rated, the movie isn't shy about appealing to voyeurism. There's nothing coy or arty about the bloodletting. Of course, in a slasher film, there's never any coy or shy whatso freaking ever. The spirals of the story, uh, the shifts in attention from Wayne and Maxine and their colleagues to Howard and Pearl, are hardly arbitrary. West, unlike the pornographers, has things to say as well as bodies to show, most of all in this aesthetic thing that isn't all about terror or titillation. This movie is full of dreamy, haunting overhead shots and moments of surprising tenderness. A large part of the movie is focused on the porn shoot itself and acts as a semi-love letter to the style of low-budget filmmaking of the era. The camera work is grainy, the dialogue is corny, but nearly all the characters firmly believe they're, they're truly making something great in this movie. The film crew are all genuinely charming thanks to sharp and funny writing. Each of the characters come off as genuinely likable and, no pun intended, fleshed out. <laughs> so, anyway, that isn't to say the movie is completely lacking in tension. You got the farm owners, who, who are adequately creepy, being mostly shot from a distance throughout the short film, and being horribly grotesque once we finally get a close-up. Especially the wife Pearl, also surprisingly played by Mia Goth in heavy prosthetics. Very excellent makeup job. Sir, I tip your hat. Or ma'am, whoever the makeup person was in that movie. And there are frequent shots of Pearl just standing in the background that managed to be incredibly unnerving. And once the blood starts flying, well, does it ever in a movie? I mean, come on now. My main disappointment is that the movie kind of teeters off at the very end. There's a feeling like there might be a bigger method to the old couple's madness. While the answer may be a bit more grounded, it felt slightly unproductive, especially with the recent announcement of an already shot prequel in the works. See, that just ruined it for me. Why would you release this film and then announce a prequel in the works? <sighs> Wait a couple of years for that kind of shit to happen. I mean, for example, The Thing from 1982. Perfect movie, and then, oh my god, almost 20 years later, they do a prequel, which is nice, and now it makes the 1982 a sequel. Massively done, in my opinion. Anyway, I digressed. So, while it doesn't reach the hype or the insistent terror of something like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the movie does at least manage to capture the style and atmosphere of the era much better than the recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel. It's a certified crowd pleaser for the Midnight Madness crowd. So, the two highlighted plots I want to talk about that I mentioned in the beginning of this episode is the first one, Pearl and Maxine's meetup, which I thought was very significant in the film. And for some reason, I believe it's, it's significant as we all watch it together, right? So, here we go. Here's my thought. As Maxine walks back into the guest house, Pearl invites her in, where they are having a faltering conversation. Pearl laments her scene while envying Maxine's youth 
even managing to make a sexual advance on Maxine, which creeps her out to walk away from the house. Later, as she starts shooting for the movie, gyrating and having sex with Jackson on camera, she is watched by Pearl from the window of the guest house, who gets aroused. She plans to consummate her arousal by having sex with Howard, who rebuffs her, telling her his heart is too weak. But then we all see them fuck anyway. I mean, <laughs> that was a scene that I could not get out of my fucking head. And I probably never will. Two old geezers fucking on a bed. It's just, bleh. How's that go? Things that make you go, bleh. <laughs> Highlight number two. The ending explained. Once again, my theories, my reviews. You can take it however you want to. But this is how I saw it, and this is how I perceived it. So, the ending. Maxine sees Pearl and Howard return to the guest house, and she manages to hide under the bed. The elderly couple discusses the murders, with Pearl stating her interest in Maxine, as she is special like Pearl used to be. The couple soon has sex, ugh, while Maxine manages to crawl out from under the bed and flee to the van. She discovers RJ's corpse, with his head halfway cut off because she was jabbed and stabbed in the neck so many times. Um, but with Wayne's pistol in the glove box, the keys are missing. She arms herself with it and retraces her steps towards the basement, freeing Lorraine. However, Lorraine is angry at Maxine, blaming her for everything that happened. And she runs towards the front door, planning to escape. And BAM! Only shot by Howard in the head at point blank range. My favorite kill scene in the entire fucking movie. So, as the elderly couple tries to move the bodies, intending to frame his, this entire situation as a home invasion, Howard is startled and almost dead, Lorraine gurgling out blood, which induces a heart attack. Thank God, because that is one creepy motherfucker. <laughs> as Howard leans against the wall and falls to the ground, Maxine manages to find the keys to the van and threatens to shoot Pearl, only to discover... That it is empty of bullets. Dope! So, enraged, Pearl tries to shoot Maxine with a shotgun, misses. The recoil blasts at Pearl 30 feet throughout the door, breaking her hip. Which I thought was awesome, by the way, too. <laughs> she's like... And they show she's fucking flying out the front door. Like, what the fuck just happened? So, I'm assuming Pearl was thinking the same thing. As Pearl lies on the ground begging Maxine for help, Maxine refuses and hearing Pearl's berating in response drives the van through the Pearl, crushing her head. As she drives away from the bloody location, the action shifts to the following morning when the police are baffled. I think if I was a cop, I'd be fucking baffled too. Like, what the fuck am I looking at here? Jesus Christ. Anyway, the evangelist speech on the TV, which has been playing on the television since the last night, or not before, Reveals that Maxine was the daughter of the evangelist and one of the deviants and sex fiends he is launching his campaign against. The police are still baffled, and the only item of substance they discover is RJ's camera, and they speculate on what the horrors it might contain. Well, for one, you're going to have to watch it for evidence anyway, and two, it's your fucking job. So yeah, it's going to be some horrific shit, just saying dude. You might want to grab a cigarette, a coffee, or whatever that's going to calm your nerves to whatever extent it's going to cause you to fucking go like, what the fuck am I looking at? So, 
The movie analyzed. Dun, dun, dun. So, the homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is made clear by the way of the film looks. The primary visual of the film is the very 70s grinny filter, while the moments shot in RJ's camera resemble snuff or adult films of the era with a heavy mahogany tone. The modern methods of filmmaking, be it the zoom-outs expanding the environment or the static overhead shot over the lake while Maxine swims back, the alligator following her are the moments emblematic of the modern approach of horror. The filmmaking in the first half serves to drive up the suspense by focusing on the farmland environment the film is taking place, while also giving it the vibe of a hangout movie either by interactions between the characters in the van or the relaxing moment in the guest house which evolves into a tense and dramatic situation. This slow approach to horror works when focusing on Pearl and her attraction to Maxine. Pearl's signifying that Maxine is special. It kind of makes sense when you realize that they are both played by Mia Goth. Goth, however, in heavy makeup in the case of Pearl. In a way, Pearl is trying to reconnect with her youth, be beautiful, and seeing almost a mirror version of herself attracts her and pushes her over the edge. Psychological problems much? So, Maxine, on the other hand, is another interesting character. As revealed at the end, she is the daughter of the evangelist who propagates conservative values aggressively while simultaneously demonizing sex workers as fiends or deviants. In a way, Maxine's repeating her father's proclamation, I will not accept a life I do not deserve, is both her rebelling against her father's wishes and being unable to completely go against her programming. It also manages to subvert and elicit chuckles from, I guess, the audience due to the inherent irony of the situation. There's some deep psychological shit going on here. Just think about it. I'll give you a minute. Okay, you meant so. Now, for my final thoughts of the movie. Woo! <laughs> Methodical horror to slash gore fest feels jarring. It doesn't mix as well as it should. Ty West managed to shoot Pearl, killing RJ with a red filter as the blood splatters all over the headlights of the van, giving an imaginative visual look. However, the movie feels stuck between trying to be seditious and deep and ultimately falling back on its slasher tropes. The slasher tropes are done well, with no doubt. However, the gore is sloppy and the kills are mildly inventive but the film feels it could have used a bit more minimalism in its approach. Nonetheless, its love for the genre is emulating as palpable, thus managing to be a modern version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, far better than the actual movie of the property that came out a couple of months ago. Yes, I said it. The most recent, most recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre was not that good. There was a lot of hype about it, but I have to disagree that it, they tried too hard. That's all I'm going to say. I will leave the rest up to you. With all that being said, I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. There are many more to come. Thank you all for your support and dedication. I am very grateful and I am humbled to entertain you in any way, shape, or form. A little personal note. If you happen to be in the Brainingsville, Pennsylvania area on May 14th, there will be a sideshow horror market. It's like a miniature horror convention. 
I will be there as a vendor promoting this podcast, South Jersey Horror. And I will be giving away some groovy door prizes. So if you happen to be there, stop on by. Say, hey, I listen to your podcast. You're awesome. And I'll say, thank you. And I'll give you a free sticker and some other bunch of weird groovy shit. So that's just the way it works for me. Until next time, you horror freaks and geeks. I love you all. Stay awesome. Stay amazing. Keep that shit up. And take care. I will howl at you later.